You're listening to the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, the show for people who leverage the latest in technology to solve agronomic problems. If you're interested in on-farm application of precision ag technology, you've come to the right place. Get ready as we unpack the insights and experiences of the agronomic minds leading our industry forward. Today on the SWAT Agronomy Podcast. If you don't have that real solid connection to the ground, your best technology in the world is not going to perform to its fullest potential. We're back for part two with Corey Wilness, president of Crop Pro Consulting and Crop Domestic Technologies. Hopefully you've already listened to part one and had a chance to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm a communications consultant, an ag tech geek, and the host of this show. I partnered with the SWAT Maps team on this project, and we hope you'll join us as we explore where the latest in agronomy meets the latest in ag technology. The show will feature people from a variety of backgrounds and geographies and interests within ag tech and agronomy, but we're kicking things off with Corey Wilness. I got him to answer some of your questions from social media in part one, and we continue those in this episode with questions like, what's the learning curve for a new tech-enabled agronomist? And what's coming next for precision agriculture? And what's happening behind the scenes with all of this data that's being collected? But first, a question about SWAT maps specifically. Dr. Audrey Kalisle asks, could SWAT maps be used to map soil-borne disease pressure in a field? Yeah, that's a great question. I like that one because it's, uh, it's someone that's thinking outside the box. But I guess the answer is that potentially it can be used for a lot of things, but it's all indirect associations, right? Like, when we're done with the swap map, all this thing relates to that you know for sure is that it's going to identify the areas with similar textures and water regimes and topsoil depths and organic matter contents and that kind of stuff. So if you have a disease that's related to a specific soil type and water regime, then yes, a swap map could help you identify where it might be a problem. So one disease we have in, in the prairies is a phanomyces and peas, and it's a disease that thrives in wet ground. So obviously you can use your map to say, well, I know where it's going to be wet, so probably my aphanomyces issues are going to be higher there. Sclerotinia is like that too, right? And in all crops, like it's not going to be most prevalent on the top of a hill where it's dried out and low biomass. It's going to be more than depressional areas with high biomass and, you know, high moisture contents in the soil and thick lush crops right so yeah the answer is yeah it could be used for that if if whatever it is the disease or the insect or weed you know is associated with a specific soil type in the field and that is quite common with all those three things that you're going to find them in specific parts of the field right yeah that makes sense now it's it's an interesting way to look at it i hadn't really considered that possibility Uh, Another question here about sort of how uh, precision ag and how the industry looks at precision ag, more from the input provider standpoint, is from Brady Ellers in Iowa, who's asking about, you know, uh, how do you convince retailers to sell less inputs because you're using them more efficiently as a result of this technology? And are incentives really aligned for this to happen? Or is there sort of a, an establishment that's um, benefiting from inefficiency? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
so, I mean, I spent my first eight years of my life in ag retail. I generally think that agronomists themselves are like, they're people with like a lot of integrity. Like I've hardly met one, I guess you could say, where they're really always driven to sell something more than they are to do the right thing. But having said that, there's definitely a percentage of people out there pushing stuff to go across every acre that people don't need or, you know, there's always been a tendency for farmers and retailers to over-apply because it's sort of a fail-safe thing, right? Let's, you know, let's make sure it's, this land is never fertilizer limiting. So let's just kind of over-apply everything or let's spray everything corner to corner, even when maybe it's not economical to spray certain parts of the field. So by default, I think that's out there. I don't know that you could really just sort of pin that on retailers and you know, make them look bad. Like, I don't know that that's really a fair way of looking at it. But I would say this, is that I think that this is very difficult to do, right? If you're going to go out, like I said before, and like reduce people's inputs by 10%, you have to know what you're doing. You you have to know where those locations are. You have to have good maps. You have to have good logic behind all these things because cutting back becomes risky to the grower. They're they don't want to cut back 10% and lose 10% on their yields, right? So you've got to know what you're doing, and it's it's a very challenging thing. I believe that everybody wants to go there. It doesn't matter if they're retail agronomists or, you know, private industry. So, yeah, I don't know that really retailers are going to sell less inputs. Quite often we get out there working with farmers, and to be quite honest, many of them are under-applying products, right? Like they're not aggressive enough they leave way too much on the table based on the research that we do there's more to get so it's not always like you're gonna use less yeah maybe could you talk a little bit about developing swap maps to get to that point that you're talking about which is you can actually say with confidence that you know here's the recommendation to the farmer when did you know you were at that point where you know you'd validated the technology enough and sort of what was the process to getting there like it was very difficult to build this process. So, yeah, to build the logic to take multiple layers of data, especially when, like, some of it's, like, an electrical conductivity layer where you it measures three different things, you know, like that sensor is influenced by texture, moisture, and solutes dissolved in the moisture. So, you know, like, you can have high readings on hills, you can have low readings on hills, and... Same thing in depressions, like, and you have to know, like you, over time, you just learn what, what it probably means by working in different geographies. So, you know, high reading in the Red River Valley in North Dakota means something different than a high reading here in Saskatchewan where I am. Over there, it'll be like heavy clay and carbonates. And here it's loam soils that are high in salinity. So I think the process to building the swap maps initially was extremely manual, took years and years of ground truthing with like many, many people on many different types of soils just to build the logic so that you kind of know how things go together. And as we move into other geographies now, like we get people in Brazil trying it in South Africa and Australia and, you know, Texas, these are all vastly different soils with different histories and and we rely heavily on the agronomic experts that we partner with. 
I always say it's 50% technology and 50% agronomy. So, I mean, our job is on the technology side, but when we move into new geographies, those those first partners that we work with, if they're superstars, I mean, they end up sort of ground-truthing everything and helping us to build out the models so that it just gets easier and easier and easier and more predictable as you keep working in certain areas. So, yeah, it's uh, pretty challenging. How does that arrangement work with those agronomists? Um, I take it these are usually independent agronomists that are basically licensing the use of the technology, or how does that part work? Yeah, our typical partners are mostly any type of agronomist. Like we work with a lot of ag retailers, even some machinery companies, uh, a lot of independent agronomists and small agronomy companies. So why that relationship is so important is because like they know their local soils and they know their local markets and weather conditions and issues like so well. So that's sort of why we chose that model is because it's, if you don't have that real solid connection to the ground, your best technology in the world is not going to perform to its fullest potential. So actually on our website, swapmaps.com, there is a partner program on there. And if people are interested, we have a partner information package that we send that shows like all the things we do, um, the things that they would be required to do. And yeah, really, it's just we have a suite of software and hardware that people can access to what I'd call scale this into their own businesses very easily. And generally speaking, what's driving them to want this as opposed to, you know, what they might be currently using or whatever else is out there on the market? Well, there's lots of capable people out there. And I think that same with me back when I started, which is a long time ago now, of course, you got your own ideas. Lots of people are independent thinkers. They want to do their own thing. But once they get delving into like the whole precision ag sector, they start realizing how difficult it is, right? How many different little specializations there are to use all these different software programs and to build maps out and to work with prescriptions for, you know, maybe 30, 40 different types of equipment that have different cart configurations. And, you know, I could keep going on and on, right? Like it's very complex. So I think that maybe people stumble around a little bit and finally realize, you know, I probably would be better off if I worked with someone that has already done all this and they've been through this pain and they found ways to make this easy and quick and efficient Plus, not just that, it's like our team is all experienced. And if you're having some trouble, like we're there, right? We've done this. There's millions of acres in swap maps. So there's not many problems we haven't seen. And if there are some problems we haven't seen, well, we'll help you work through them because we want to learn the answers too. So I think that's the most important part. I think that that's why the space is, I think it's going to be dominated by larger companies. It's just when you're very small, if you're just a single operator or small company it's just too hard to have all these tools and all this knowledge and put it all to work it's just it's tough i know we've already kind of talked about this topic and how difficult it is but are there any technologies that agronomists are are typically using along with swap maps oh absolutely yeah i guess that's a great question tim and you know we're just a very specialized company 
really what we're trying to do is to help people build this best soil type maps that they can build, right? It's sort of like that base foundation layer. We've completely built all our hardware and software tools and everything just around those things. So now we're building water maps. To build water maps, we're going out and we're connecting to other companies' probes. Like So, for example, we're connected to the PESL API and the Crop Intelligence API, where people would buy their soil moisture probes from those companies, then the data would be pulled into ours. We don't do any data collection, right? We don't pull any data from equipment. We don't do any yield mapping equipment. So if we want to access that data, we have to build our APIs out to, we're finished climate field view and John Deere, for example. The list goes on and on and on. I think that sort of the whole partnering, like this, almost all companies do maybe one or two things really well. And that's about it, right? Uh, if there's somebody that thinks they do it all, they probably do it all, but none of it very well. So yeah, we definitely have to partner and connect with not just other agronomists out there to take this solution, but yeah, with a lot of other pieces of technology to fulfill the whole toolbox for people. Cool. All right. Well, a few minutes left here. And so I want to get to the last of the questions that we have. Uh, this one's from Aisha Rahim in Lagos. So uh, she's asking, does data analytics have a role in managing increased volatility of yield from climate change? So I'm, I'm guessing she is assuming that there's infield variability due to climate change. I don't know. That's how I read that question. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I like this question because the answer is absolutely that data analytics have a role. I don't perceive this as like some future challenge because really, I mean, farmers are managing variability more than anyone. Like who's more affected by weather changes than farmers, right? So this has been the core of the product offerings that everyone is taking to agriculture already. Like we've been dealing with too dry and too wet and just right for a long time. So everyone's building towards this already. So improved data management within fields, like we've been talking about this through the whole podcast, right? Helping them manage this variability. And as time progresses, when those systems are in place on people's farm operations, right? As things change, they'll have the data right there in front of them. And analytics is kind of like the end point, right? Like a lot of good things have to be done right it's the whole garbage in, garbage out sort of thought process, right? So data anal analytics is at the end, and I think we're just barely getting started on what I'd call good data analytics. Um, but I think that's where the best stuff is. And yeah, it's going to have a huge role in managing yield variability today and into the future. Uh, going back to the the agronomists that you work with and the service providers here that are using swap maps, what do they struggle with most in, in kind of adopting the technology into their process? I mean, what's the learning curve with getting started? Yeah, unfortunately, the learning curve is pretty steep. So, I mean, you can have real good, solid agronomy skills. But soon as you start dividing fields up into zones and saying, okay, yeah, this field you recommended, you know, because you sampled the mid slopes, it needs 100 pounds of nitrogen to grow canola. And then you start dividing it up and say, well, the hills have, you know, high residual N, and, but the yield potential is lower and, and the depressions have these attributes and stuff. All of a sudden, the people are overwhelmed, 
the level of intensity of decisions that they have to make with sort of imperfect data. Like it's not like you can just go out and read some book or come up with some experience or even come out of university with this knowledge. A lot of this knowledge is learned or by your own experience or, you know, learned through people that have already done this and have the experience. So the agronomy skills, the technical skills to do it all, you know, there's software skills, hardware skills. I think it's, it is like a pretty steep learning curve for, for service providers to get in. And yeah, I'm kind of hoping like that people would understand that that's why we're in business, right? Like when you've been doing this a long time and you built software and hardware solutions to make life easier for people, uh, it does. It makes a big difference. What about the precision ag industry in general? Where do you see the next push to try to make it more effective for growers as far as what can be added to the existing technology to push the boundaries even further? Well, you know, I think there is already a bloated amount of technology out there. Like, there's a lot of great tools out there already. It's just they're very fragmented. You know, there's there's 100 different tools. We already use probably 20 tools here and just using trying to bring in all that information and learn from it and turn it into something usable for you know hundreds or thousands of users is a big challenge so i don't think we need more new technology per se it's just like getting the technology we have into scalable solutions that people can use and the other thing i know i mentioned this in another podcast that we did together is just that the data itself is very fragmented right it's very difficult to work with there's lots of companies we're trying to work with, but it takes time, right? You've got to build APIs and those just aren't like some developers get talking and figure out how to push data and pull data back and forth. I mean, you have to have business agreements, right? Because there's lots of things going on in the background and uh, yeah, they take a lot of time to maintain and build and there's a lot of cost involved and the industry is very fragmented and you can Western Canada, you might connect to six different companies and look after 70% of the market and you go to the Southern States and those companies don't even exist. Right. And you're dealing with six more companies. So that all makes it very difficult for the entire sector to move ahead in my opinion. Yeah. On that note, uh, one thing I've been meaning to ask you, and this is the perfect opportunity is how much does establishing a common data language how much would that help that process where everybody's using the same terms, the same agreement when it comes to data usage? How much would that help this problem of trying to get it to API to all these other technologies? I guess some of it is good and some of it may not be good. And so that's part of the reason why it hasn't had really good traction. Like some of the things are, I would say would be good as an example, like uh, the standard that's coming out for soil test labs and transferring data across right so there's been a standard set up and i think there's probably 15 or 20 labs doing it now we built our system to handle it so there's a standardized way that people would accept soil test data and now when i link to climate field view it's like easy to do because we've all standardized it but that's a very simple thing right it's just like a having a spreadsheet with numbers on it there's no real complexity to that everyone can agree on it like the industry wants to move to this standard of what's called shapefiles, you know, for prescriptions and maps and stuff. And that is probably one of the main things that people do out there, but they don't have great resolution. Like they're just 
typically big polygons. Like we work with raster grids. Like they have far more resolution. They're way better maps. So I don't want to convert to shapefiles. We work to make them into high resolution soil type maps where every eight feet, you know, like you, you're in the bottom of a depression, another eight feet, you're coming out of the depression, another eight feet, you're in a mid slope and another eight feet, you're, you know, at the top of a hill. Well, that's the resolution that I want. I don't want to simplify it down to bigger polygons. So yeah, we can't all agree, I guess you could say. Um, it's nice to have standards, but it's not always as simple as it looks. Yeah. No, that's going to be a complicated, complicated one to sort through in the coming years, we hope, I guess. Uh, but on the data topic, we did have a couple questions that are basically the same question, but uh, one from Joseph Mark Buell in California, another one from Philip Harris, also in California, about who owns the data. So with swap maps, you're collecting all this data. You're using it to help the farmer, but what happens on the other end? You know, who owns it? Uh, what What's sort of the agreement on the data side with, with swap maps? Well, in general, it always ends up that it's a farmer that is requesting the initial service. So most of the time, it's probably 95% of the time, it's some type of service provider that's going out and mapping their sampling their fields. But the farmer has an account set up, and from that account, then you know, the, all the data comes to their own app and desktop software. Plus, we have a file sync system that synchronizes all the files. So all the maps themselves would come right to their computer. The farmer owns the data and they just allow access to the service providers. And, you know, and they all just allow access to a API that if they want to connect their data to climate field view, they have to click the share button on the desktop before it can be shared to their field view account and that type of thing. Okay. And then for your company, I mean, is there, is there any part of your business model that kind of relies on aggregating that data and trying to, you know, sell insights or anything like that? Well, we have, I guess you could say like most companies reserve the right to anonymize and aggregate data, but we haven't actually done anything with it. But what our plan is, is no, we are not going to sell anything. Um, I think when 99.9% of your business is pleasing farmers and providing value to farmers, and we all know that none of them want that. So we're not going to be selling data just to whoever comes along out the door. Our plan is to have farmers agree to allow us to query the data, to provide more insights that benefit them. So to only send the data back to them. So the value proposition in aggregating data would be just to take it back to the farmers and say, these are the things that we're learning and could help us make better decisions on your farm. Okay, I think that's a great place to wrap up this round of questions. Thank you very much to everyone who submitted those. Now, this is just the very beginning of what I think will be a really interesting podcast series about technology-enabled agronomy. So make sure you subscribe to this show on your podcast platform of choice. I think you'll find us everywhere, iTunes, Spotify, even Stitcher for those of you Android users out there. If you have any recommendations for guests or topics or questions for this show, please tweet them to us using the hashtag SWAT Agronomy. That's it for today. Thanks for listening.